All right, we are maybe two weeks away from the Gospel of John. Yep. Yep. I was tempted to preach the entire chapter this morning, but it's just far too much. Um, Join me in reading the Word of God from chapter 50 of Genesis. Then Joseph fell. I need you to create a mental image. I want you to see Jacob. He has, in verse number 33, finished commanding his sons. He drew up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. So he's laying there on a bed of some sorts. His legs are drawn up into him. He has breathed his last breath. And the scripture says Joseph fell on his father's face. And wept. Wept over him and kissed him. Can you just imagine this outburst of love and affection and sorrow and mourning all wrapped in one as his brain is racing at the reality that after the last 17 years that they spent together in Egypt, his father has now left this earth. Verse 2, and Joseph commanded his servants and physicians to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please... Speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Verse 6, Pharaoh answered, Go, go up. You can just imagine him saying, Go, the resources of the kingdom are at your disposal. Go, bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. Anyone that was able to travel, traveled. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. You can just imagine the pomp and circumstances together for this trip. When they came to the threshing fold of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. They just stopped for seven full days, and there's an additional period of mourning. Verse 11, when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the morning of the threshing floor, this is their response. This is what's recorded. This is a grievous morning by the Egyptians. Then they give it a particular name because of this morning. Verse 12, thus his sons did for him as he commanded them. That's what sons do. And his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field. And then we get all the 
logistical data as to where it was, the geographical references. And then verse 14 says, And after they buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Oh, Father God in heaven, I just pray that you would make this profitable and productive. In Jesus' name, amen. I have never preached a sermon like this in 16 years. I've never built slides that say this in 16 years. Verse 1 is an incredible description of the morning, of the personal relationship between the favorite son of dad, Joseph, and Jacob. And Joseph has such a special place for his dad, and his dad loved him, and there is an immense amount of sorrow. Turn back to chapter number 46. Just four chapters back, look at 46 and 1 through 4. Let me remind you what the text said. Verse 1 says, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. Verse 2 says, And God spoke to Israel in a vision of night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And his response was, Here I am. Verse 3, Then he said, I am, I'm the God, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. So now the patriarch of this great nation has passed. Listen to the promise in verse 4. Yahweh says that he will go down with you. I, I, Yahweh, will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Can you imagine for just a moment? Can you, can you just run with your imagination as Joseph falls down on his father's face and gently takes the index finger and the middle finger and just carefully, ever so gently moves the eyelids down so that his father's eyes don't remain open as he's weeping and staring at his father and realizing that he'll never hear him say another thing. He has breathed his last. This is the end. And then verse 2 just immediately transitions. It's unbelievable how it just quickly goes right to verse number 2. Well, let's back up. Let's at least deal with that. John eleven thirty five. 35. You know it. I just showed it to you. It's two little words. Just... Just two words. Just rather simple words, really. Jesus wept. I mean, what are we to make of those words? Jesus wept. You know the context, right? You know the context in John 11. Verse 32, just to jump in the middle of the narrative. Mary comes to Jesus She sees him. She falls at his feet. And this is what she says. Lord, if you had been here, finish it with me. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knows that he can can heal 
He makes the blind to see. He makes the deaf to hear. He makes people walk. He surely could have done any issue. He would have been able to fix it. Now Lazarus is dead. Jesus saw her weeping. The Jews who had come with her also weeping. And read these words with me. He was deeply moved in his spirit. Deeply moved in his spirit. I wonder, do you get deeply moved in your spirit? When you see the turmoil in Ukraine, when you see the broken lives, when you see the death, when you're surrounded by the world that we live in, this fallen world, have you allowed yourself to become cold and callous? Have you created a a hard heart so that you can deal with these things? Or is there an element of who you are that you're much like Joseph? Verse 42, he turned away and wept. Verse uh, 40, chapter 42, chapter 43, he's weeping again. Chapter 45, he wept aloud. Chapter 45 again, he fell on his brother's neck and wept. In fact, do you realize that no other person weeps as much as Joseph in the entire Bible? There's no one that more is recorded about his weeping. Every time we turn around, he's weeping. He's crying. Chapter 46, 29, then Joseph prepared his chariot and went to meet Israel. And he presented him to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Chapter 50, he falls on his father's face and weeps. He is the weeping patriarch. You've heard Jeremiah's the weeping prophet. He's the weeping patriarch. So what does this say about us? Well, can I suggest to you that these emotions of compassion and weeping and grieving and mourning, sorrowing, are all ways in which we bear God's image. That when we can empathize with someone's situation, when we weep with them, when we cry with them, when we grieve with them, when we mourn with them, that we are in fact bearing God's image. So what makes Jesus weeping here so paradoxical? What makes it so paradoxical? What, what makes it so just unbelievable that he's weeping? Talk to me. What makes it so paradoxical? Yeah, he knows he's in paradise. What else? Not only can he bring him back, he has already determined that he's going to bring him back, right? I mean, he said to his disciples, he's asleep. You remember that? Then he had to clarify it because they were kind of like brain dead at that moment. He's dead. And then the text records that he actually delayed his trip back to make sure that he was good and dead. To what end? Why did he do that? Because he fully anticipated that he was going to do what? Raise him. So what do we do with the reality that here he is fully known that he's going to call him out of the grave in just a moment. Lazarus, come forth, yet he's weeping. But wait a minute, isn't that us? Come on, believers, isn't that us? You're crying, you're weeping over the loss of someone, yet you know they've already experienced the first resurrection. They're already in paradise. They're already at the throne of God, yet you're grieving. Yet in reality, you're in turmoil inside because you know they're with the Lord. That's us. We live with this paradox. Jesus is genuinely weeping, and Jesus knows in just minutes, Lazarus would be alive. Yet this is all just so very intentional. So once he's cried and weeped and 
said his final goodbye to his dad, he gets to work. This is where you need the checklist. And I'm not being funny there. No, don't mean that to be funny in any way, shape, or form. This is hard work right now. You're getting ready to go through the steps. He calls for the embalming. He gets busy. Son or daughter, are you ready? Son or daughter, are you ready? I mean, who's going to bury your mom and dad? You are. That's the reality. That's what we do. We own up to the situation. You say, of course I'm not ready. No, you're not ready. But you're going to be thrust into that scenario. Literally just thrust into it. Here it is. Now deal with it. Bam. And it always comes as a giant rude interruption. You literally stop everything you're doing and your entire week, two weeks, three weeks, even a month is utterly changed. Joseph did not stick his head in the sand. This was his final way of honoring his father. His final way. And he takes it very serious. 40 days were required for the embalming. The Egyptians wept for 70 days. Preparation needs to be made. Things are happening. He goes to his boss. He's got to get time off. He's got to make this long, arduous trip. There are resources necessary. Planes to be booked. This is what happens. He goes to his boss and says, if I now have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, so let's unpack this idea right here. Found favor. Let me ask you this question. Do you live your life in such a way that you found favor in the eyes of your boss? Are you the kind of worker that your boss would say, absolutely, take as much time off as you need? Are you that kind of a worker? Are you that kind of a valuable contributor to your place of employment like Joseph, where they would say, yes, take what you need. Take care of your family. Do the right thing. Joseph's not asking this question because he's in doubt. He knows he's found favor. He knows he's a solid contributor in Egypt. He's got a position in the government of Egypt and has made a difference in the lives of many. And so his boss says to him, go, take care of bearing your father. Now we've got a detail in chapter verse five that we didn't get in 49. I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself. Do you read it with me? That I I hewed out, I did this. He's already made some preparations. He's already determined, this is where I'm gonna be buried. This is the tomb I wanna be laid in. I went in there, I dug it out. The burial spot's there reserved for me. It's ready to go. So get your affairs in order. I'm talking to you. Get your affairs in order. Choose a funeral home. Go ahead and do it. Choose a funeral home. What do you mean, choose a funeral home? Get your affairs in order. He did. He determined where he was going to get buried. He'd he'd already carved it out. The tomb's there. Meet with the staff. Go down there. Meet with the staff. Do some shopping. Go to one or two places. Get things organized. Pick a casket out. Say, well, I want to do that so that your brother, son, mother, spouse doesn't pay too much, doesn't overspend. Be thrifty. Get your ducks lined up. I told you, this is a, I've never preached like this on Sunday morning about this. But the text demands that we talk about these things. It is 14 verses about a funeral. 
There is no other location in scripture where we get this much focused on a funeral. Abraham died and we got a verse or two. Isaac died and we got a verse or two. Now Israel dies and we got an entire narrative, 14 verses describing a funeral. I know, church, we don't want to think about this. I get it. Just pretend like it's never going to happen, right? That's where we all live. Just pretend like it's not going to happen. But that wasn't Jacob. He'd already picked out his casket. He'd already determined where he was going to be buried. He'd done the legwork. He got his ducks in order for his son. Take the time to do some stuff. Communicate your wishes. Communicate your wishes. Say, how am I going to do that? Here, here's a suggestion for you. Get yourself a folder. This is a manila folder. This is pre-iPad world, okay? I know this is really strange, but people still use these. Get one of these out like this, okay? Start with a marker, and this is what I want you to write inside of it. Start like this. I love you. Start like this. I love you. Just like this. I love you. So that when you pass and your son, your wife, whoever has to grab your affairs and they pull it out, you know what the first thing you're going to see? You love me. And this is the way he showed me. This is the way she showed me how much she loves me. There are instructions. There are notes. This is the funeral home. This is my wishes. This is the song I want sung. This is the preacher I want to preach. These are the verses I want read. Let me ask you wives for just a moment. Let me ask you wives, how many are you ready to bury your husband? None, right? There wasn't a single hand that went up. None. Why not? I need him. I know. I get it. And when he passes, on that moment, he's gone. It's going to be on you. And the number of tasks are just going to be incredible. And it's going to seem like the most overwhelming thing you've ever had to do. So wives, let me ask you, how many would enjoy having an envelope full of instructions from your husband? Amen. That told you where to go, how we're going to pay for this. Where do I want to be buried? I know. Last week was the good sermon. I get that. Go back and listen to it if you want a good sermon. This is not the good sermon. This is the hard sermon. This is what we don't want to talk about. Draft the last will and testament. Provide details about your service. Meet with the pastor. You say, I'm way too young for that. Maybe, but you're not always going to be so young. And some of you, you're not there anymore, okay? If you need me to point you out, I'll be happy to do that, okay? But some of you need to be having a meeting with me. Do you know something more than I know? I know that it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, Determine a cemetery of choice. Plan for the expenses. How are we going to pay for this? Right now, you've got that good life insurance from the army. That'll take care of that. That doesn't go on forever. What happens when that life insurance ends? Then what? Are you ready for these expenses? Seven to $10,000 is the average. 
2,300 for the basic services. That's just to walk in the door, meet your funeral director. A casket, 2,500. Funeral home fees, 1,100. A bombing, a grand. Funeral ceremony, 925. Transportation to move you to and from, 800 bucks. Now what's still missing? What have we not covered? Is the guy in the ground yet? No. Verse six says, go there and bury your father. So he's gotta be put in the ground. A burial plot's $2,000, a vault, $1,800. You put the casket in the vault and then the vault goes in the dirt. A marker, are you gonna have anything on the ground that remember that spot? $750, 12 grand. So let me ask you this, are you just gonna thrust this upon your son or daughter or do you have a small life insurance policy that's gonna take care of this? Are you gonna take that family of three, four with their grandkids and you know how much they're struggling and just dump a $10,000 expense on their lap? Do you expect them just to put it on the credit card? Pay 18.5% for the next 10 years? Do you have a savings account set aside just for this so that they don't have to endure such a terrible financial burden? Do you know why cremation is so popular? Because it's cheap. Maybe you can get buried in a veteran's home. It's no expenses. It's a great alternative. It's beautiful. You know what you need? DD-214. You say, DD-214, yeah, that's the discharge paper we got. You know what you do with their DD-14? Where do you put it? In your I love you folder. You open it right up there. DD-214, right there, ready to go. Now they don't have to go looking for it. It's already there. You got your instructions on there. I'm going to be buried in the Sand Hills over there on Fort Bragg. Got it. Here's my DD-214. You'll be able to coordinate to get a burial with a flag and a detail because of this. You know what you can save yourself? Three grand. Get your affairs in order. That's what he did. This is where I want to be buried. And then the exodus begins in verse 7. The exodus begins, and this is an incredible. It's now time to leave Egypt and go to Canaan. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the household, the elders of the land of Egypt. You can just imagine this thing. It was huge. The pomp and circumstances were just incredible. It says that they went with the household of Joseph, brothers in his father's household, only the children left, only the flocks, the youngest that couldn't make this arduous trip. So let me ask you, do you attend funerals? Do you actually attend funerals or you never, you never have any time? You're just always too busy. Or will you carve out time and say, this is my way of honoring. This is my way of being there. Do you know how to dress appropriately or do you show up in jeans? and? Because we're living in a day and age where people go shopping in pajamas in Walmart. So we, we just all lost. You say, why are you even bringing this up? Wait a minute. I thought that life was sacred. I thought life was sacred. Do we agree that life is sacred? Yes or no? Isn't it appropriate to show honor? Is this an image bearer of God that's died or not? So we make sure you have appropriate dress. Are you willing to share a testimony at the funeral? 
Do you have a great story that would just be encouraging to the entire family? You've written down a thought or two that you're going to share about so-and-so and the impact they had in your life? This is your last time to give memory. Can you play an instrument? Sing a special? Prepare a meal? Serve as a pallbearer? This is the opportunity to show your honor for the person who's passed away. Let me ask you, should children attend funerals or do we keep it away from them? Absolutely bring your children to funerals. Make sure they attend funerals. Take them to the graveside. Give them some closure. Show them exactly where that person's laid to rest. Why are we hiding death from children? Why are we doing that? Why are we hiding death from children? That's not helpful. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and yet we hide death from children, and then we wonder why they don't repent and turn to God. Show them the inevitability is this is where dad goes, this is where mom goes, and you too will pass away someday. Ecclesiastes 7, 2 says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind. This is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. They'll think about it. It'll speak to them. Verse 9 records the fact that the chariots and the horsemen. It's just amazing. This is so ironic. This incredible entourage. The colors. The horsemen. The chariots. There for security because of all the elders from Egypt as they travel into a foreign land. Consider the divine irony. Our sovereign God uses Egypt to give the patriarch of the nation Israel, Jacob, a burial fit for a king. But wait a minute, he is the king of Egypt. I mean, of Israel. He's the patriarch. He's the founding father of Israel. And then 300 plus years later, Egyptian chariot drivers and horsemen will die in the Red Sea trying to prevent God's sovereign will again. In fact, if you look at your Bible and you do two chariots and horsemen, you just look up those two things, chariots and horsemen, it'll be this chapter where you see the chariots and horsemen, and then it'll be the Red Sea where you see the next encounter of the chariots and the horsemen. So this one is they're burying the patriarch, and this one they're drowning in the sea. This time they were doing the will of the Lord. This time they were trying to prevent the will of the Lord from happening. It's almost as though all the chariots are the Lord's and all the horsemen are the Lord's. Verse 10 records that they lamented, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. It's just unbelievable. So I wonder, what scriptures doesn't Joseph have? What scriptures doesn't he have? Why are they grieving like this, this great lamentation? It's very grievous and great. Well, he doesn't have Job 19. He's never read Isaiah 25. He's never read John 11 or John 14. Paul has not written his letter to the church at Rome in first. Chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 15 has not been read. All of chapter 4 of Thessalonians hasn't been written or read. And Revelation 14 is absent. For if he had these verses, the lamentation would be different. The grieving wouldn't be so grievous. If he had Job 19, he'd find out that yet in my flesh I shall see God. He's going to see his dad again. This is glorious. This is good news. 
If he had Isaiah 25, he'd read that he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. The very tears that are falling on Jacob's face from Joseph's tear ducts are going to be wiped away by the sovereign God and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken this. If he had John 11, he'd read that the Lord God is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus turns and says, do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? And by the way, let me just talk to teenagers right now. Let me talk to children right now. Your parents don't know where you stand. They don't know whether you believe or not. And God forbid something to happen to you at such an early age right now, it would be just terrible for them to wonder. So why don't you profess your faith in Christ? 14-year-old, why don't you tell your mom and dad, I believe. 17-year-old, 16-year-old, 15-year-old, tell your mom and dad, I believe. Let them know right now. Make a profession of faith this afternoon. They're wondering. They've not seen you get baptized. They've never seen you make a profession of faith. And they're wondering, where is my child at with the Lord? Wouldn't it be comforting to know, mom and dad, that you could hear your son or daughter say, I just want you to know, mom. I just want you to know, dad. I believe Jesus is the Christ who died for my sins. I need you to know I believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for my sins. Your faith is my faith. Dad, wouldn't you like to hear that from your sons? Mom, wouldn't you like to hear that from your daughter? Wouldn't you like to hear them articulate, I believe like you do? It's miserable to bury a child. It's hard to bury a child. And it's even harder when you don't know where they're at. So let your mom and dad know, where are you at in this? Is Jesus your savior? Have you trusted in Christ over here? Heads should be nodding. Eye contact should be made. If you ask me if I trust in Christ, my whole face will let you know, yes, I have. I don't understand why we live like this closet Christians. Let the whole world know. Part the waters and get ready to baptize me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. Why are we begging you to get up there? It's ridiculous. You ought to be telling us, I have yet to be baptized, but I believe Jesus is my Christ. Get out of the way and let me get baptized. How many of you are ready to bury your son? No, you're not. Bury your daughter. No, you're not. You kick the can down the road, kick the can down, praying and praying and praying that you'll see some lasting fruit. John 14, 3, Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and will take you, receive you, that where I am, you may be also. Joseph had never read that verse, but you have. Romans 14, 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. For whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, where Paul quotes the Isaiah passage. For as by, one, as by a man came death, and man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, also in Christ shall all be made alive. Are you in Christ? Raise your hand if you're in Christ. This should not be hard. 
I don't understand why we don't immediately say, absolutely, yes, I am. Amen, I'm in Christ. My faith is there. I'm just going to tell you right now, church, it is much easier to preach a funeral when you know they're in Christ. Verse 11 records that this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. This is Gentiles mourning. I wonder why they're mourning like this. They don't have any idea about Sheol. They have no idea in the hope of scripture. They have no idea about the reality of where Jacob is. Church, when a saint, when a fully functioning follower of Christ passes from life on this earth to life at the throne of God, their passing is not supposed to be grievous. They go from life on this earth to the intermediate state where they wait for the eternal kingdom. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Incredible text. Everyone in the church should know it. Everyone. All, the whole church should know this verses. Everybody should know why we're going here. If you don't have an underline in your Bible, it's time to underline it. If you don't have a note next to it, it's time to put a note next to it. These are the verses that you preach at the funeral of a believer. These are the verses that you preach the fire out of at the funeral of a believer. These are incredibly encouraging verses that are written to help and encourage us. Paul writes in verse number 13 to the church of Thessalonica, we do not want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed from this life to the life beyond that you may, notice please, not. You don't grieve as others do. Your grievous is not what we read about. It's not like this giant grievous morning lamentation so loud for seven days. That is not how we grieve. Our grieving is utterly and completely different. That you may not grieve as others do. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you don't miss them. I'm not saying you don't have sorrow. But it is not a lamentation like you have no hope. It's different. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, even through suit Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You have a promise from the word of God that God is going to bring with him when he returns every single saint of God that has been, went to be with him. Verse 15, for this we declare to you. This is an authoritative, declarative statement. You can trust in what we're telling you. This we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the perusia, the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For, verse 16, underline it in your Bible. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. What a glorious day that's going to be. Church, it's about time we start act like we believe in the word that we say we have. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet, the sound of a trumpet. And this is what's going to happen. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. So the soul of the believer is coming back from the intermediate state, descending onto the earth, and it does not have a body. It is without a body because its body was left in the grave wherever you buried him or her. The soul comes, the resurrection occurs, and this glorious union happens where the soul is united with the spiritual body that God has prepared for them. And this all happens in the twinkle of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And this is amazing. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, this is what the text says. Somewhere along your journey from being on this earth to going up there where the Lord is, somewhere along that, whatever that is right there, you get changed. Like you, there, there's like a, like, beam me up, Scotty kind of a deal, you know what I'm saying? It, in that process, you lose this human body and get your spiritual body that endures forever. Okay, thank you. There's a handful of you that actually believe the text. You like your current body so much that you're going to keep it? My, my knees are killing me. Back hurts. Two surgeries coming up back to back. Aren't you excited, sister, that God has a body prepared for you that will endure all of eternity? You will never make another doctor visit. The great physician heals you once and for all. Church, if this is not what we don't believe, then why are we here? I mean, you're certainly not here to get social networking. We're not a rich, famous church like that. You're wasting your time. I'll give you a list of five others you need to attend if that's what you're trying to do. We're a bunch of Bible-believing folks, yes or no? And this is why we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We're utterly different. We actually believe the book. This is what the book says. The book says in chapter 14 of the book of Revelation that the blessed are the dead. Write this down. Log this down. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. So let's wrap it up in the last minute we have together. What have you communicated? What have you communicated? Especially all you guys that jump out of airplanes and deploy people and people shoot at you and you shoot back. All you guys in the church like this, this ought to be done. I'm not, listen to me, I'm not talking about what you do at whatever that processing you do on Fort Bragg. I'm talking about what are you giving your spouse? What are you giving your spouse? Do you want to be buried in Fort Bragg? Do you want to be buried back home? Is there a government cemetery back there that you like? Is there a particular spot that you want? Come on, I'm talking to all the wives who have a soldier that gets on a plane and flies away and you don't know when he's coming home. Don't you want to have all the ducks in order, moms? You can't even imagine having to come back and receive your husband like that. All the sons here that have parents that are aging, 
sons and daughters that have parents that are aging. Don't you want to help them get their ducks in order? Look, church, I know this isn't a pleasant sermon. I get that. I get that. But it's necessary. It's necessary. Because nobody gets to bypass this step. You don't get a buy. And when you do nothing, you're not loving your neighbor. You're not loving your neighbor. What do you mean I'm not loving your neighbor? Loving your neighbor extends all the way to the preparation you do for getting ready for your departure. Father God in heaven, I just pray, oh Lord God, that you'd help us to realize that living in a fallen world requires that we prepare for the inevitable. Jacob did it well. Joseph carried out the wishes of his dad to a T. And I pray, oh God, that we would do something more than just listen to the sermon. In Jesus' name, amen.